0: It's Cofield and Company We're just
1: basically sitting around I try to drink 10 beers in an hour Get annihilated, curse a lot Good lord,
0: Cofield You have eaten your share of hot dogs in your life, have you not?
1: I'm an American
0: I don't want to be muzzled It's time for Cofield and Company With Steve Cofield On ESPN Las Las Vegas All right, here we go. Field
1: Company live right after the UNL victory in the first round of the Mountain West Conference tournament. Hopefully, you uh, listen right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Candy is with us. I know, uh, Adam, you were riveted, you were glued to your computer screen. We've got a lot to break down from the game and especially looking ahead to uh, tomorrow in the Mountain West Conference tournament. How are you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing great. In fact, I got to learn something new today. I got to learn how to use a web browser on my TV because that's how I was able to finally find the game and get the
1: broadcast on. Wait, what happened in terms of hookup? You had difficulty?
2: Well, I tried to see if maybe because these games were not on TV anywhere, if I could use an app on my Roku, if I could use an app on the TV, Uh, couldn't find anything and eventually figured out that my TV has a web browser function. So I navigated all the way there and kind of thought to myself, huh? If it took me this much effort, I really hope people elsewhere did not have to go to these pains to find the game.
1: Yeah, uh, glass half full before we go glass empty Um, glass half full is the Mountain West Conference does afford you the opportunity if you've got the time to learn about technology. I I love Uh, it. Now your point is most people and that includes me unless it's something really vital. I have about 30 seconds of patience and if I can't find something, I move on. I'm with you. And
2: look, eventually I pulled out my iPad and set it up as a tiny little second screen and watch the game that way because it was much easier. It's just that, I don't know, as one of the, I'm guessing, hundreds, hopefully thousands of people who were trying to watch this game today, that I think it would be nice if it were a little easier to do on an actual television.
1: Yeah. And I, I know there's a lot of people out there listening who are like, hey, you know what? Catch up with the times. I watch everything on my phone, on my computer. I get it. I get it. Maybe we're the old guys. So uh, UNLV wins it 80-52. to 52. Let's not bury the lead. Excellent victory. It was not easy the first two times around with Air Force as they won by 10 and 5 points. And uh, Air Force, especially in the first half of both of those games, really shot the three ball well after not shooting the three ball very well throughout the season. So what was the focus today, Candy, going in defensively?
2: Uh, yeah, pretty clear, right?
1: right stop the three ball and air force was awful from three-point range generally air force is not awful from three-point range but in this one they didn't hit their first three until about a minute and a half into the second half uh they finished up by the right numbers i don't know if there was some uh, junk at the end but i had two of 18 for air force for the game so that's a good job defensively and air force had a, a couple of open threes but um for a team in UNLV that has struggled in chasing people off the three-point line all season, this is a little bit encouraging, and it certainly has to carry over to tomorrow against Utah State. They can't allow Utah State to shoot the three-ball well, so a little sab on that open wound that has been defending the three-point line, which they rank nationally somewhere, where I think, in the, the 335 on downrange. They've been really rough in terms of stopping people from deep.
2: And thankfully, they ran into an outfit today that when it comes to uh, defending all shots uh, is one of the worst in the country as well in this Air Force yeah. team. And, and quite honestly, if you look at the way Air Force has trended uh, with UNLV being in the middle of its second half of Mountain West season, this is a team that was pretty well done with its season, right? I mean, the offense had disappeared for them. They had one win against New Mexico. In fact, they even lost at home to New Mexico. So, you know, UNLV did exactly what it needed to do today. It came out. It did not leave a lot of doubt by the end of the first half as to what they would be able to do with this game,
1: and they got themselves ready for Utah State. Yep, 80-52. to UNLV shoots an unreal 9-17 of from three. And you know, as good as Bryce Hamilton is, Candy, the team really revolves around the performance of David Jenkins, both on offense and defense. Uh, If you can play decent defense and not you know get torched by his his rival across the way, uh, he's shooting, and you know Bryce isn't shut down. This can be a dangerous team. And David Jenkins was quick with the release. He went six and nine from long range, finished up with twenty one.
2: Even noted UNLV hater Tyler Bischoff said that if Bryce Hamilton is playing the way he played today, that UNLV can win the entire tournament. And it's hard to argue because they went out there and got the performance they needed, as you said, from a number of different sources. And I was looking back at the box score from when UNLV beat Utah State back on January 25th, and the balance is what stood out. 14 for Jenkins, 10 for Wood, 9 for Grill, 8 for Nick Blake. When they can get that kind of balance and force the defense not to just focus
1: on Bryce Hamilton, then they have a chance on offense. Hamilton only had to take 13 shots to get 18. I mean, we've had a lot of games this year where he's got to go into one-on-one Bryce mode because no one else... Was hitting. There wasn't much movement on offense. And, you know, you'd see him shoot 22, 25, 27 times to get his 24 or 27 points. Today, a lot more efficient. Also, two of two from three. The Rebels shoot 57% overall in the 28 point win. And, you know, the guy who's going to be really key from here, along with David Jenkins and Bryce Hamilton, is Mbake Jong, especially in the next game. Jong today, 16 points, eight rebounds. Man, I wish they tracked, and they probably do somewhere. I wish they tracked, like, big man steals, coast-to-coast dunks. Because I don't remember a big guy who's 6'11", pushing 7 foot, who has as many in one season as Mbake Jong. I swear, he I think he got, like, 8, 9, or 10 today. Not 10 in the game, but, like, number 8, 9, or 10 on the season. He had a couple more today, and uh, there was one, I think, his second uh, dunk, or steal and dunk, We like, he freaking... He kind of cradled it and did a reverse, which was nice because Mbaké's had a habit of sometimes. Sometimes he jumps a little too early and uh, winds up kind of coming up short and stuffing himself on the rim. But he finished that one nicely. And uh, Zhang is is massive. However long the season is going to go, Candy, his input, especially on defense, he's got to be. He's got to be a guy you can feed it to on offense to make the uh, their defense honest. And he's going to have to be really big on the defensive end in this next game. Before we get to that, though, let's play a little uh, T.J. Altselberger on the post game. This is a short one here. As, uh, this is courtesy of the Mountain West Network. As you'll hear the uh, interviewer ask her question, and Ots fires away.
0: Coach, the offense was on a roll tonight. You guys shot 61% from the field. What impressed you the most with their performance? Our defensive energy, like Bryce had mentioned, especially guarding the three-point line, I thought we had really active hands and pressured the basketball. That allowed for some long shots, long rebounds we were able to go in transition, which is where we were at our best offensively.
1: Shea Mbake Jong tonight had an incredible performance. How does he continue to prove
0: himself to be so valuable to this team? He's a tremendous worker. Every day, he's a blue-collar, lunch pail type of guy who just comes in. He wants his team to win. He wants to do well. So he's about all the right stuff. And when you work how he does on a daily basis, things tend to go your way. It was great to see him have that performance today.
1: There you go. Character guy Mbake Jong could have left. Before last season, right, Candy? He was one of the guys who had a decision to make. I'm sure he could have landed somewhere else and been a contributor in a program that uh, maybe would be headed to the NCAA tournament this year for sure, but he sets a great example, and uh, his D was excellent today, and he also spearheaded. Um, you're not going to lose many games if you out-rebound your opponent 38-17, to 17, and that's what the Rebels did today.
2: Yeah, and Air Force is tiny, and that's exactly what you want them to do, and you make a great point. It's Mbake Zhang's defense that might be the single biggest X-factor in what happens for UNLV against Utah State. Because in the two games that Utah State played against UNLV back in January, Nimi Keda, the big man for Utah State, who is the straw that stirs the drink for them, put up his two worst offensive ratings of the entire Mountain West season. Uh, he shot a combined 9 of 25 from the floor. And so that credit, in large part, goes to Mbaké Jean.
1: And what I think it was thirteen in both games. He had, uh, I think, identical thirteen spots in both 13 games. Thirteen and eight. Yeah. Thirteen and okay. Thirteen and eight. And uh, I was just looking at the rebound numbers. Uh, was a little better in the second not really game. A great three point shooter, mid- really shooter, but close to the basket. Audio Anywhere wants. Great
2: three point shooter, close to the basket. mid Oh lordy.
1: In oh, lordy. Now, Live radio. Live his- radio. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, uh, on that, we'll take a timeout. I want to hear more from Ots on the way back. We'll get you more numbers on Kata and everyone out there. Be careful what websites you punch up when you're doing live radio.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Jong with the rebound, the
2: spin, and the putback. Soft touch with the right hand and Bakke Jong's first field goal.
0: Yeah, Jong with a nice move inside. He might want to and then he comes back and makes the steal. Jong out on the run. The hammer from Mbake Jong. Now back to Cofield and Company. On ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Thanks for the turnaround highlights, Uh, Chris Chapman, Magnum, and the vast sound crew with the call there from the Mountain West Network, Nate Kreckman, and good old Marty Fletcher. We missed Marty, didn't we? We missed him
2: oh marty had a great moses joke uh, at the end of the broadcast to uh talk about moses wood i've heard pretty much every moses and caleb grill joke there is to hear on a regional sports network this year uh congratulations to marty for coming up with a new one yeah uh, pardon this team.
1: is this is not to rip marty fletcher or anyone else doing these games because it is hard well it is hard it was harder this year to do research and get you know face-to-face i guess it would be a uh, face-to-face on video conversations. Face-to-face uh, information from teams, but my lord, between uh, what we heard today and then uh, more so FS1 and CBS, you are right. The Moses jokes, the the freaking grill Ugh. mentions, the hot grill mentions. I'm trying to think of some of the other things they all
2: your grill. Yeah, yeah. It was just mm-hmm.
1: like, uh. yeah. <laughs> Broadcasting was hard this year. It's hard to do it from a distance. You
2: know, I know. So, but you, we talk be hard.
1: Yes, talk be hard. Uh, Rebels went to eighty to fifty-two. Did you expect that? Air Force was getting twelve.
2: I'm not really surprised by it, just because of where really? Air Force was at this point of the season. Yeah, I'm not really surprised uh, because. When you are a team like Air Force where the only thing that keeps you in games is that three-point shooting, then you live on a razor's edge. They don't have the size to compete inside. They don't have the athleticism to keep up with UNLV's perimeter players one-on-one, and so if you're going to say, what's the high-end case for UNLV, I think this was it.
1: 9-17 of from three for the Rebels, 57% overall. They out-rebound Air Force by plus 21. Jenkins, 21 points. Hamilton, 18. Jong, 16 and 8. Uh, Air Force could not hit from three. There were only two of 18 from deep. Uh, their best player, AJ Walker didn't get heated up until the second half. And by then the game was over. There was a, uh, I think it was a 23 to two run in the middle of the game as uh, this was actually a 14, 14 game. And then the rebels just blew it open, led by 18 at the half. And we're up by as many as uh, 31 in the second half. So not a whole lot to break down from this one. Uh, it's a, this is a, a team in Air Force, as uh, Candy said. It's it's not a great team, and it's been fading. Joe Scott's got a hell of a rebuild job to do there. But up next is Utah State. And, I've you know, I've, I follow uh, social media enough that I've seen a lot of Utah State fans were like, well, this is really not the team we wanted to meet up against because uh, UNLV did take them out in uh, one of the games in the two-game series. And Candy and I were talking about, you know, the key factor in tomorrow's game, which will go – uh, off at 6 o'clock with the tip, and we'll have a uh, running Rebel warm-up right here uh, at 5.30 on ESPN Las Vegas. The key matchup is going to be Nemesh Keita against the Rebels defense. And when I say the Rebels defense, you know, the crazy thing about uh, those numbers, we were talking about the Keita numbers before we went to break candy. Uh, he finished with, what, 13 points and 8 rebounds, 8 points and 11 rebounds, which are solid but not spectacular for a guy who probably has a you know professional career in front of him sooner than later and he's he freaking dominated some games at the end of the year. The biggest key to me in those first two games, when Zhang played him, Zhang played him. I don't remember a whole lot of double teams. Zhang handled him one on one, which we're kind of setting up, you know, a, a thirty-five and twenty seven performance tomorrow by Kata if Jong gets in foul trouble, but Mbake Zhang did a brilliant job of mostly handling Keda one on one. And
2: I think the thing that is a little X's and O's deep, but let's get it out there quickly is where kata caught the ball in those games. What the focus you could tell for TJ Otzelberger and his staff was was to tell Mbakhe Zhang. Do not let him get the ball inside the paint. And Mbake Zhang did a good job of working right on the edge of the rules for a post player in terms of moving to off his spot. He didn't let Keita get the ball where he wanted to. And at the point where Keita has to put the ball on the floor once, twice to try to create something, it's a whole different story for him. And as you just said, Steve, if they don't have to double, then Keita can't use his passing skills to go find the open shooter because he's a guy who can find the open guy, but UNLV is not going to give him that matchup if Mbake John can play him
1: straight up. Uh, Max motivation certainly on the side of Utah State. We know that because of – well, it's not because of what happened last week with regard to Utah State, but uh, I know you've talked about this a lot on and off the air. The rescheduled games – uh, in that final week of the season, did not exactly help them out in West Conference in terms of where they are, um, the tourney bubble.
2: They didn't, although I'll tell you what, the, the one thing it might have done was it might have helped Utah State because you look at what happened here and um, ultimately... They are a team that is going to have not the worst path in the world to try to get into this tournament, right? Like, you look at where they are, and you say, okay, it's a UNLV team that, yes, gave them trouble. However, it's not a UNLV team that looked all that great down the stretch. And so now you see Boise State fade themselves out of contention a little bit, and what uh, Utah State gets is the benefit of avoiding San Diego State until – the potential Mountain West championship game by ending up up in the two slots. So the loss by Boise State, uh, loss as I should say, by Boise State uh, down the stretch end up really coming back to help Utah State.
1: The That's a good point. I got them a little bit closer. The net rankings right now, uh, latest update I see, Colorado State is 50. Utah State is 48. These are the rankings now put out by the NCAA as they tried to shoe aside the old RPI. So, CSU 50, Utah State 48, Boise is 44, and then San Diego State, we think, we think, is safely in. You agree yeah, with that? I think, so. uh, quite honestly, I think. The 21. Thing, 21 in the net rankings.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, if San Diego State somehow gets blown out by Wyoming, then, yeah, it might get a little nervous for them. They might end up as a play in team or something like that, but there's no way San Diego State doesn't make the field with where they are. You know, you just mentioned where they are in the net rating. They're 19, the Ken Palm. You'd look at this San Diego State uh, resume and you say, where'd the losses come? Okay, to Utah State, to Colorado State, and to a BYU team that just gave Gonzaga 25 minutes of hell last night. So, in the end, I don't think there's any trouble for San Diego State, but for Utah State for Boise State for Colorado State, anything short of a Mountain West
1: final. And I'm not really certain those teams get in. Uh, interesting note, as you mentioned, the WCC final, tons of people were watching that one. Were you one of the seemingly uh, 40 million people up on Twitter who were like, I'm on Gonzaga when they were down big in the first half?
2: I understand why everybody was on it, but I wasn't. And I could mostly, I was watching the way that. Uh, that BYU was shooting, and I thought to myself, you know, this might just be one of those crazy nights where the shots do fall. How about you? Did
1: you get in on Gonzaga? I did, but it probably shouldn't have been a cover. I got him at minus two and a half, um, I think late first half, and uh, they wound up winning by what, 10, but it was like it was basically a tie game, a two point game with two and a half minutes left, and they just went on a run to get the cover. But uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people were rolling on Zaga and ready to freak out if BYU somehow upset them. So, last four in right now, we're talking about the Mountain West Conference Tournament. UNLV advances. uh, Easy win after two tough games against Air Force uh, during the regular season. Easy win 80-52. Boise is part of the last four in. Colorado State is also last four in with Drake and Xavier. First four out, Utah State, St. Louis, Syracuse, and Memphis. So, these are some of the teams you got to watch. Next four out after that are Ole Miss, Seton Hall, SMU, and St. John's. Uh, we were talking sort of imaginary bet, because I make too many of these bets. Imaginary bet the other day. Would you take over two and a half teams right now to make the field from the Mountain West Conference?
2: No, I, I wouldn't. I would I would absolutely say that two is about where I expect this to end, because one of those three teams that we just mentioned is going to reach the final now again if it's Boise and they upset San Diego State and they make the final then we might have a different conversation on our hands but I don't think that's going to happen so assuming it's San Diego State and either you know let's say Colorado State or Utah State if neither of them lose along the way if it's that matchup then I think whoever makes the final is getting the other bid whoever loses in the semis is probably out
1: so I want to talk about motivation, especially when it comes to bids and also storylines around these programs. We'll do that on the way back. But first, let's do Caller 11 right now. We've got another great hockey puck party as you can go uh, watch the Golden Knights in a viewing party with Diversion Amusements. It's uh, the coolest sports viewing venue in Vegas. It's brand new. Really, really neat spot. Uh, it's for the game on the 13th. So we got this coming up right around the corner. It's uh, Golden Knights against St. Louis. Only way to get in is to win with us right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Call or 11-364-1100. Winner gets a table for four, including free food and uh, non-alcoholic beverages. It's uh, only for adults, 21-plus only, and uh, these are these tickets go for a good price. So a four-pack is a hell of a prize. You can find out uh, on your own uh, about Diversion Amusements by going to uh, DA.vegas. Uh, check it out. We'll give out the phone number a little bit, but uh, most important, our phone number, 364-1100, 364-1100. Call 11. Get a chance to watch the uh, Knights and the Blues in style. Caller 11, 364-1100.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Now back to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Do it today all about fine-tuned machines. Smokefield and company, just like UNLV, dominating today. Adam Candy is with us as we follow up a big run Rebel victory, 80-52. to That was in the first round of the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Three games today to uh, get everyone set for the quarterfinals. And, you know, generally, especially in years past, Candy, the quarterfinals of the Mountain West Conference Tournament rank up there with some of the best quarters in all of college basketball. Now, it it hasn't helped in recent times that UNLV and New Mexico have been down, but uh, the quarters and the semis should be pretty on fire uh, for this conference. As uh, We were just talking a couple minutes ago about the back end of bracketology right now has uh, Boise State and Colorado State last four in and first four out, Utah State. So, I mean, everything is on the line for those three teams.
2: I think the reason we can expect the quarterfinals to be so good this year, Steve, is that you have those four teams you just mentioned. Then you have a Wolfpack team that I've heard more than once picked as a sleeper to not only make some noise, but to potentially win the tournament. And then you get Fresno State and UNLV, who are both talented enough teams to make a run, right? And then you see Wyoming, a team that set the Mountain West tournament record for points scored today against a San Jose team that frankly looked like uh, it never actually made the trip down from California. So... All in all, you see at least seven teams that are easily capable of winning a game this year.
1: And I like Fresno because they play defense. They muck it up. Uh, they make it ugly. Wyoming, I don't think San Diego State will have much trouble with them, but Wyoming's intriguing because they they show today. They can score. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, well, Williams won. Their guard won the freshman of the year. Um, Graham E.K. is a freaking beast. He had, what, was it 32 or 33 today in the 111-point performance? So, hey, you know, they start hitting a bunch of threes in the first half. At times, San Diego State can struggle offensively. Now the Aztecs have to be on their mark for this one. And realize, uh, especially with San Diego State, they feel like their ticket is punched. I'm not saying they're looking ahead in this game. But a lot of their focus the last couple weeks has been, let's just get through these games. And more importantly, we have to make sure that we are COVID-ready for the NCAA tournament. So there's a little opening there that could make this game between the Cowboys and the Aztecs closer than expected.
2: Oh, I agree entirely. And like you said, if you're San Diego State, the last thing you want to do is look across the court and see a team... That can light it up scoring because of the struggles that the Aztecs can have. So looks like the opener that I'm seeing here is Aztecs minus 15 with a total of 144.
1: Would you play the Cowboys plus 15?
2: Probably not. Um, <laughs> ultimately,
1: <laughs> I built my case.
2: I, uh, I liked your case. I liked yeah. your case, but but the odds of this thing being something like 75 50 look pretty strong.
1: Yeah. Good job though, Wyoming by Linder. You know, if you look at what what he's got to build around at a place like Wyoming and especially how down they were with the previous regime, he's done a nice job. And really, that's the story around the Mountain West Conference is the nice job lots of uh, newer coaches have done. Uh, Nico Medved, I think, is in line to get out of the conference. Craig Smith certainly is in line to get out of the conference. You know, we were talking about Utah State's motivation. Can't lose to UNLV if you expect to stay on that first four outline and edge your way and slip your way into the last four in. San Diego State's motivation is kind of interesting because they're, I'm not going to say denying, they're they're acting like adults around San Diego State. Like, hey, there's some reality coming up here for Brian Dutcher. He will have to make a decision with that Minnesota job. Now, they're not talking about it like, yep, Patino's been fired, but going back a while now, it's been recognized. Like, there's one job that Dutcher might leave for, and that's Minnesota, and chances are, and we're tracking the game right now um, i don't i mean i i don't think it should matter for minnesota if they win today's big 10 tournament game um against northwestern but we're tracking that game and at this point it just started a little while ago uh minnesota's off to a 27 to 17 start going towards the uh the end of the first half if richard bertino loses the job dutcher is going to be on the top of minnesota's list dutcher has now put up like an amazing record in you know in these uh, couple of years that he's taken over for Steve Fisher, his dad was the coach at Minnesota. I didn't I didn't know this until uh, reading this the other day. He has he has a massive buyout in his contract, upwards of five to six million dollars for everyone around the country if they want to come calling for him. That school if they hire away Brian Dutcher will have to pay five or six million dollars to San Diego State. The buyout for Minnesota is one million. One million. I've never heard of have you have you ever heard of anything like that like i've got a designated school in my contract that if they come for me the buyout is next to nothing
2: i guess that's why you can have five or six million listed for everybody else right because you're making it very clear to them look there is one place that i would go and so i'm amazed by the way five to six million is not a group of five number for a buyout that is enormous um but you just said it and i think the the thing that has to be said about brian dutcher is that We talk all the time in sports about how you don't want to be the guy after the guy, right? You want to be the next one. So to be the guy after Steve Fisher, and granted, we know he's Fisher's protege, sat on that bench for a long time. But to come in and do what he's done to keep the program at the level that Dutcher has kept it at, I think that is wildly impressive for Brian Dutcher because we've seen... With many different examples, whether it's football, basketball, for a group of five school who gets lucky and wins that lottery of moving their way up into the national conversation, when the coach who gets them there
1: leaves, it is no guarantee that they stay in that conversation. No. Um, and uh, yeah, the fact that he was able to roll with some continuity, they're 50 and six, San Diego State, the last two years, 50 and six. 31 and 4 in conference. His overall record as a head coach now at San Diego State, Dutcher is 93 and 30. If Minnesota doesn't get Dutcher and li- listen, he may he may have something in the back of his head like, hey, you know what? It's not a good job. There's a, you know, bad situation with, you know, management from top down. I don't know Minnesota well enough. I I do know watching Patino coach and the roster that he's put together. Minnesota has talent. And you can get talent. And Minnesota has won in the past. So, the Gophers would have to screw this up royally to not get this dude. So for San Diego State, um, and they've players have answered questions about it. You know, like, hey, we know there's a situation out there. It's going to be interesting how they deal with that emotionally if it can be turned into a positive to make a run here and sweep their way through this tournament.
2: You just talked about Minnesota, and I think not that our listeners are you know Big Ten junkies who know this, but. <laughs> guy like Liam Robbins for Minnesota, they should have been a much better team than they were this year, and they were this weird team in the Big Ten where at home you wanted absolutely no piece of them, and on the road they might as well have been Nebraska. Like they were awful away from the barn this year and just doesn't make any sense, and it's the kind of situation I think that makes really easy for you to look at a roster like they've had, and if you're the administration, say, yeah, Richard Pitino, we're not getting enough out of you in this talent.
1: He's been there eight years, and I think he's made the tournament twice. I mean, that's not enough. Uh, in the Big Ten, especially with how hyped up the Big Ten is now, you can basically finish two games below 500 in the conference, and you're in. So, I mean, to, to not even achieve that, um, and not only Robbins, who's a transfer, he's a good, you know, good seven-footer. Uh, Carr, their point guard, is great. He plays like a dumbass sometimes, but he's awesome. He had a 41-point game a couple of games ago. They've got some good wings they've got mashburn's kid who i think is going to be a freaking stud wherever he lands if he doesn't stay in minnesota he's going to be a freaking stud uh they've got a promising big man a young dude so it's a good job it's a good job i'm not saying it's going to happen but uh if dutchers ever going to leave san diego state and the job is open this is going to be the year so we'll see what happens
2: if you were making millions of dollars to live in san diego what would someone have to offer you to get you to leave
1: um well like I said, there there's already the tie. That's the thing. There's already the tie of, you know, no no, dead. you, 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 Steve Coffin, oh, oh, Like oh, like what well, w- like w- w-
2: would you have to get something, you know, like something where would it be better?
1: Do you do you wanna can we just you if I'm the coach at San Diego State, or are you just talking about just a, a radio person? What are you talking about here? I mean, if, oh, it, my, if, God. You, if my salary is, is my salary Steve is not much of a dreamer. 000. No, if my salary is eight hundred thousand dollars and a big ten schools coming with three right. and a half million dollars I mean I think I have to jump at it because what's the worst that's going to happen right. uh I put a I put a massive freaking buyout at the end for the school I get blown out in three years and then you know I just made who knows how much 14 million dollars and then at 65 I could go back and just you know coach at group of five again um I mean to me there's no risk and there's a ton of upside so I mean if it was if it was me now at my age I mean I don't know I guess if you I, don't know, I guess if you double or tripled my salary then I'd probably go but uh yeah but yeah be, it, it's a hard it's a hard sell um from a living you know standpoint but but here's here's the other thing candy you've got you've got a guy who's gone 50 and six the last two years at San Diego State and not that they're sweating their way into the NCAA tournament but 50 and six 20 and four this year some good non-con wins and they're gonna get what a six seed. I mean, it's the reality of being in the, and I keep calling it a group of five. That's football, but you know, outside of the power five, cause there is, I don't believe there's a power six and seventh conference. It's a bunch of crap with the big East, but think about what San Diego state as good as they are, has to go through every year. There's a lack of respect from a seating standpoint. So, you know, you can go out there, play, play an aggressive non-con schedule, post in a normal season, a record of whatever, 29 and five. And they're like, yep, seven seed. Like What? and you can go to a place like minnesota win 22 games win 10 in the big 10 and guess what you are probably a 17 no question and, about it and and i don't i don't know how san diego state overcomes that i wouldn't expect that they could you know it's just it's a, it's a mess now even as good as gonzaga has been um i i still feel like la- last night was did it not feel like the the college basketball world but especially the the casual sports fan world was ready to freaking cave in. God forbid Gonzaga had lost to BYU.
2: Oh, they were ready to jump down the throat of that team, right? They should come off the one line. I mean, by far, the clear most talented team in the country, and I love Baylor, don't get me wrong, I'm holding a ticket on Baylor, but the clear most talented team in the country, yeah, they were going to be allowed to have one off night against a good BYU team if they did, and you know what? They still didn't.
1: Coming back, we're going to uh, check in on some football, Dak Prescott contract, and uh, some other quarterback news. We'll talk to our buddy Caleb Herring on this Wednesday.
0: Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Grill the steel, the breakaway, Whoa. the dunk. Great steal. Held my breath on
1: that delivery. Didn't know he was going to get that one down. Jenkins got it back from grill. Three
0: ball, buries it. Now, five of seven from behind the arc is UNLV. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. One of the big
1: highlights from the uh, Rebels' massive victory. Uh, Not that, you know, it's massive in terms of significance i mean the margin it's significant they advanced to the quarterfinals which losing to air force would have been a hell of a way then the season after sweeping them during the regular season but 80 to 52 win for the rebels you hear the call there courtesy of uh, the mountain west network with nate crackman and marty fletcher as the caleb grilled dunk i think i would have as an old man well if i could jump like that and dunk that's one thing but as an old man, I think I would have broken my wrist on one That was weird, wasn't it? He dunked on the left side. I think it was with his right hand, and he got twisted in the air and uh, got in a precarious position. So that's why Marty Fletcher was like, woo, 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 woo. I thought you thought Marty Fletcher was calling for an outlet pass based on what I heard there. <laughs> uh, David Jenkins, three. He was 6-9 from three, 21 points. On the night. Let's get into some football. Let's get into some Rebels. This is our Wednesday spot. One of our favorite spots of the week is with Caleb Herring, former Rebel quarterback. What's up, Caleb? Hey, what's up, guys? Exciting win. Good win for the Rebels, right? Good good basketball win, transition over to football. Awesome, right? Good stuff. Well, it's a good win because they solved, at least for a game, some of the things that have troubled them much of the year. That was defending the, uh, the three-point shot. Air Force only went two of 18 from deep.
3: Which is awesome. And then to counter that, you also did something that you're looking your best at when you did do it during the season, which is shoot the three well yourself. So kind of the perfect sum of parts, I guess, for UNLV to get a big win like that. So excited about it. Hopefully they can keep it up, you
1: know. And uh, we do have some weird storylines around the tournament, though. Uh, You have big conferences that could be calling on several coaches. I don't know if you've seen the Otzelberger rumors, but if Iowa State opens up and Iowa State's playing tonight and if they lose again – Um, Steve Prom could go. So, I guess in a way, it's a compliment, Caleb, that folks could be interested in your head coach, but I have a feeling UNLV may have to fend off Iowa State, or maybe even Utah State may have to fend off Iowa State. Uh, Colorado State may have to fend off Iowa State. There's some good coaches in this conference.
3: Yeah, there is. Obviously, you know, the record and things like that, you kind of would wonder at first when you see that you know another program like that has interest in Augsburg, you'd say, well, what has he done at UNLV to warrant that? But you kind of also realize that the coaching carousel is a lot about who you know and what, you know, there's different things that more fine eyes are, are noticing about the game and, and things like that. So Altenberger, obviously a quality guy and you're right. I, when Altenberger got hired, a lot of people maybe thought that the price tag for him was a little higher than expected from based on his resume and where he was coming from. But, you know, he's going to have to pony up and start paying out because I mean, they're they're going to have to invest in these type of things. They want to keep quality coaches with, you know, the head football coach now making a, a, a nice decent salary for, for, for the university standards. And, you know, Burger if he's entertaining offers from Iowa State, you're definitely gonna have to bring some cash. So we'll see. There's definitely good coaching going on in this conference. Um especially with kind of the, the consistent names you guys are talking earlier about San Diego State that have always been there and continuing to be there and thanks in part to some good coaching. But uh yeah, the rebels are gonna have to fight to keep a good one. Obviously with with, with the interest from from big schools like that.
1: Hey Candy, I'm going to ask uh, the question you asked of me to Caleb here in a second, but I'll bounce it back to you on on Dutcher. If that, I think that's what you were asking, right? I, I think I was frustrating you. You're asking me what it would take for me to move from San Diego to Minnesota. I, what would it What would it take for you officially to move, Candy?
2: Well, uh, no, I wasn't frustrated at all. I was trying to say Steve Cofield radio host, not Steve Cofield oh, okay. as Brian Dutcher, but you, you gave me a good solid two minutes of reasonable explanation <laughs> as to why you would have to go make that move if you were in Brian Dutcher's <laughs> shoes. But, um, uh, yeah. So maybe if you want to take it from there,
1: well, we'll ask Caleb as law enforcement guy and UNLV announcer, what would it take for you to, uh, you know, pull up your roots from a, a cool place, nice weather location like Vegas to go to Minnesota. We're talking your job, not the coach's job, because that's not what Candy meant. Your job. Yeah. My, so my job with the coach's numbers, though. <laughs> I, I mean,
3: so if I'm making coaches' money, like if I'm if I'm living comfortably in San Diego, I, I I think I I understand your reasoning, but my profession wouldn't allow necessarily for the guarantee of, you know, safe transition. So that plays a part. If I was comfortable financially in San Diego, like very comfortable, like upper end of the economic structure in San Diego, you're going to have to jump really high to pry me from that for family reasons and and all that stuff. I'm a California guy. So you're going to be hard pressed to see me giving up San Diego, comfortability in San Diego to go to Minnesota and try something. Like that's just me. I'd probably be staying in San Diego.
1: Candy, you want my real answer? Uh, I wouldn't be offered because I'm, probably not good enough to be on KFan and I give them a compliment cuz that's the big sports radio station in Minneapolis. That station is really really good, really good from a rating standpoint, but it's a it's a uh, an absolute powerhouse. So, let's get to the football news of the week in the NFL. Dak Prescott, just give me your general comments, Caleb Herring, on the size of this deal and the guarantees of 126 and he's going to get 75 million in the first year and this is a guy right now who's finishing up his rehab.
3: Yeah. I think that last part kind of makes it interesting, right? Like you weren't willing to pay this guy, you know, what he was asking for, which was not, I I guess, for an annual number. It wasn't that far off from what he landed at now, but coming back from the kind of injury that he had um, and really not knowing how his body has responded to that injury at this point. I mean, I I don't know how much on the field stuff he's doing. I don't know how much you can evaluate it at this point, Um, but he's, he's, you know, the game time situation, you're not going to know what you got really with Dak. I mean, so that part brings the question of, you know, is this really um, the wisest investment for the, from a team's perspective? Um, I think if you look at what Dak was on track to do last year um, before the injury, he was, you know, not holding the Cowboys in contention because they were still, you know, losing a lot. But he was the best thing going for Dallas during that sh- the beginning of the season before he went down. He was on pace to have a similar season to what Deshaun Watson had at the end of things. So just the numbers he was putting up. So – I guess in that way, when you look at it from that perspective, maybe Dak got what he deserved. And I think Dak is the guy for the foreseeable future for the Cowboys. And I think them realizing it one way or another is good for for that team. I don't know, however, if the, the contract is, is right for the way that the Cowboys need to build the roster up. And, and I look at the Cowboys as kind of in a similar situation at the Raiders to bring it closer to home here where – you have an offense that could be a playoff offense. You have pieces there to put you in contention as an offense. But then, especially when you look at the, the cap hit that they're now going to take with a new agreement between the, the PA and, and the league, um, that 8% difference this, for this year, for building a contract this year, you've already seen you know other players on the roster have to restructure to make space. So I don't know if you can now build a team that's ready to win because you've tied up a lot of money in, in the quarterback. But um, that's a, a problem that everybody's going to have at some point, where you have to make a decision to pay your quarterback what he's worth, or to to try to ask him to basically take a discounted price, so you can build a team around him to win. So I think the the Cowboys are probably in a happy medium where where they are as far as the the, the short term versus the long term solution to actually being a winning franchise, but they got a long way to go. But I, I, I'm glad Dak got his money. I think he's a, a Dallas Cowboy through and through. I think that the Cowboys fans. For the most part, there, there might be some different opinions, but Cowboys fans have embraced him. I um, mean, you saw that with the reaction to how he when he went out this season. So I'm I'm glad he's still a cowboy um, for the league's sake um, and for Dak's sake. So we'll see how it shakes out. We'll see what the the Cowboys are able to do with the rest of the cap space to to try to build a winning team and and make it to the playoffs in the NFC East, such a a daunting task uh, <laughs> to make it out of that division.
2: Hey, hey, hey! My New York Giants are definitely going to cause a lot of trouble for. Well, You're your New York
3: stuff. Giants, huh? I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm sorry now. I'm, it's okay, Bye. you'll be fine.
2: I, I appreciate it, Caleb. I, I played some Dave Gelleman audio yesterday on the show, and, and it just it, it hurts my heart. But you talk about building up a team, and I think, Caleb, it's a good question for not just Dallas, but it seems like that's the key question in Seattle right now as well with this Russell Wilson discussion as to what is the disconnect between him and between Seattle management because they don't really have a great offensive line. They seem to be... A good at receiver, but they also have been a team that's been very focused on running the ball. While they've had Russell Wilson, so what do you make of the the noise that's gone on there between Russell Wilson and Seattle's front office?
3: Well, oh, so in my opinion, it's just a power struggle. I, I, it, I, as plain and simple as I can put it, I think Russell Wilson would like to be a Seahawk. I I can't I don't see him really seriously requesting a trade, but I see that he wants to have more of a voice, and that comes from. You know things like wanting to have a say in who the new offensive coordinator is, and and kind of led leading up to this now rumored or his agent putting out the trade destination that he would be open to going to or would want to go to. I think it's a it's almost like a bluff. You know you got you got pocket aces, and you're saying, okay, here we go. Like I, I'm going to go all in here, and we're going to see what what comes back. Um, and it's up to the now the organization to to either bend to his will and say you're right. We have been you know kind of wasting your prime, so to speak, with trying these constant efforts to run the ball when they, the run's just not there with, uh, you know, things of, of that nature that have kind of gone on. But this all is cured when winning. And I think it's, it's funny kind of in Seattle to see the kind of reversal of the, the mindset because there was a time where Russell Wilson was the golden boy. And, you know, they, they went all in on Russ is our guy. We're going to brand him as, as the Seattle Seahawks, you know, leader. And as evidenced by the Super Bowl, throwing it on the one-yard line—that was kind of, you know, what was speculated back then—that um, Russ was now the guy, and it was—it wasn't the Legion of Boom anymore. We're transitioning to the Russell Wilson show. But then the last couple of years, really, you've seen um, kind of a reluctance to unleash Russell Wilson and to to let him really take the forefront as the star that he is in Seattle. Um, so I think right now what we're seeing is just a power struggle. Russell wants his voice to be heard in a much bigger way than. Uh, for lack of a better way to make this understandable, shut up and dribble, or shut up and play, or just you know just play quarterback. He's seeing guys like Tom Brady make kind of organizational impactful decisions and having their voices heard, um, or you know just go down the list of guys who have achieved that. Where Aaron Rodgers now is also doing the same. He's trying to solidify his influence on the franchise that he plays for. I think Russell Wilson's trying to do that, and it's, it's I think a, a back and forth that's going to go on between he and the Seahawks and. I think ultimately he ends up staying a Seahawk, and the Seahawks end up trying to and win with Russell Wilson as their quarterback.
1: Caleb, is it fair for Seattle management to go to Russell Wilson and go, listen, bro, you want a, a much better offensive line uh, You know that gets more money? Give us some of your money. How about you renegotiate? You're the one who wanted to take all the money.
3: It's absolutely fair. And that that's kind of goes back to the Dak Prescott point here where – the team game aspect of football is lost on a lot of guys when you see the big numbers of who, whatever everybody else is getting. And when the market is set for a quarterback at $100-plus plus million and you see Jared Goff get that money, and then as Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott and all these other guys who are now asking for more money, you, the, the kind of selfish, um, uh, I, don't, I don't want to necessarily call it greed, but the instinct of individuals and the pride of competitors is to say, this is what I'm worth. But if you look at the way winning teams are built and the way contracts are constructed, whether through accident or intention, when you talk about like New England or just timing, when you talk about Kansas City, the quarterback position, especially because they, I believe, they're overpaid in a lot of instances because they're overvalued um, as far as their impact on winning actual football games. Um, I think when you look at teams that have had success, their quarterbacks take pay cuts. Their quarterbacks are on you know their rookie deals, their their young deals, or things like that. When you talk about uh, guys like uh, Patrick Mahomes, they, the Chiefs got to a place where they were a super team almost because they had the cap flexibility of not paying $150 million to the quarterback. So I think reasonably any organization or franchise that wants to win could say, well, you want us to build this up for you. Give Restructure the contract. Allow us to spend money this way. Now the counter to that, Russ Wilson, would be, yes, I'm willing to do that but we're going to go through and pick who I want, and we're going to do these things the way that I want to do. And that's where you see guys like Tom Brady having that kind of influence. Tom Brady was never or not really the highest-paid guy. His contract was you know, reasonable compared to what he could have asked for, but they did things Tom Brady's way. The the people that Tom Brady had around him, the system, the offense that that he ran in New England – was very much Tom Brady. And then you saw that kind of translate over to the Buccaneers after a few a few weeks of struggling. But it would be absolutely reasonable for any franchise who wants to win to say to a quarterback or any overpaid player for that matter, can we restructure your contract so that we can have the ability to build a team around you so we can win? Now the player would have to have a great level of trust at the organization and a demonstration <laughs> that the organization would be willing to actually follow through with that, and they were just trying to get them for a discount. And I think that's what you see with, with Houston. Houston didn't prove to Deshaun Watson that they were willing to kind of build a team to, to help him win. They actually did the opposite. They, they ruined that trust with a quarterback by giving away his number one weapon at receiver. So, you see, yeah, Deshaun Watson got his money, but this franchise hasn't proven that they want to do what I want to do, which is win and win right now. So, absolutely reasonable for a franchise, but it's, it's up to the player to make that decision whether or not they trust the franchise to actually build a winning team.
1: I find this topic fascinating on how much folks should take as a salary and us judging if they did the right thing. You said overpaid uh, about 90 seconds ago. Are you saying both Dak and Russell Wilson are overpaid?
3: I would say, Grant, given the fact that football has a salary cap, mm. when you're looking at the, the fact that uh, that the team aspect of getting winning players and other players who are good enough and impact winning deserve to get paid too. Um, And the fact that there's a a finite amount of money that you can spend each year contractually and, and as a part of the league rules, the fact that there's a cap, yet I would say if you want to build a winning team, you may be overpaid. And there's instances, several instances across the league where I could say that this quarterback or this player is overpaid given that cap. Now, we're operating in a perfect world and we're talking about what guys bring to the franchise, what guys bring to the sport, and their individual... Uh, revenue generation, so to speak, I have a hard—you'd be hard-pressed to hear me say that anybody in the NFL is overpaid. I, an argument can be made that they're underpaid based on the actual revenue of the league, um, but that's a whole different ballgame. But given the salary cap and the rules that are currently constructed, it's very easy to me to say that if you're trying to win, if you're trying to construct a full, complete roster, there's instances where guys, whether through selfish greed or just you know their their self selfish desires are overpaid. And sometimes it's because of the, the poor decision-making of a franchise. And I, I, I would point to the Rams when, when you look at that, just paying a guy way too much money before the market's even set When and that depleting your ability to build a roster. And talking about Jared Goff, um, a guy that's value maybe as a player wasn't there yet. But yeah, I would say that the in, under the certain circumstances of a salary cap, there are certainly players that are overpaid when you're talking about building a winning roster in the league right now.
1: Caleb, Barrings with us. we got about two minutes left here, so uh, let's dive into the Raiders situation. Pretty interesting. A lot of of responsibility, a lot of pressure on the organization to uh, rebuild this offensive line now as Trent Brown is gone for a draft pick to the Patriots. Dave Jackson is cut. Incognito's cut. Maybe they bring him back. But uh, all of a sudden, at a minimum, you're trying to rebuild the right side of your line.
3: Yeah, yeah, you're trying to rebuild the right side of your line, which, uh, you know, you got a great offense, but it, we as we saw with the Super Bowl, it, it starts and stops with the guys up front. So if that's not solidified, who cares what Derek Carr is capable of? Who cares, you know, what what Hunter Renfro can do or what Henry Ruggs turns into? Who cares that you got Josh Jacobs right if you don't have the guys up front, a solid five up front, and even during the season with the Raiders when they when they had some some offensive line depth issues, you saw how that impacted their their system. So that is definitely now moved to the front of the need list for you know, roster management, getting that offensive line shirt up. But the thing about it is you you make these moves that generate cap space and and, and free up cap space, um, and even on the defensive side of the ball, you free up a little bit of cap space. But there's there's been no move to say that you're filling any of these holes that already existed. And there was a massive hole, right, on on every level of the defense, defensive line, linebackers, and and secondary, that you already needed to fill before this offseason started, that we watched, that you needed to fill after week one of the season, like, that should have been priority number one, right? So now you've, instead of improving your roster at this point, as things stand, you have really compounded your roster issues as far as the ability to win. If you're talking about w- building a roster, um, so and and this this management team that with with Mayock and and Gruden together has not proven that draft capital is the answer. Um, now they do have a chance in free agency, I think, to to answer some things, but. Again, do you trust the franchise as they have to select the players that fit the best and that are actually going to produce on the field? I haven't seen it yet, so it's, it's kind of worrisome for the Raiders. This is one of those situations where something big could be brewing, and that's why they're freeing up this cap space and make these moves, or, or maybe they're just really confident in whatever their plan is. But right now, they're kind of decimating a team that was a, away, a, a defensive team away from being in the playoffs last year. So we'll see. There's a lot of holes to be filled, and, and hopefully – Um, They got the catch space to fill it this season, and and the the, the plan is is moving right now behind the scenes, and we're just not privy to it.
1: Caleb, good job, man. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Good talking to you, man. Go Rebels. There he is, the former UNLV quarterback, Caleb Herring. If you didn't hear earlier, UNLV advanced today to the quarterfinals. They played their way in with a uh, romp past Air Force 82-52.
0: Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Gambling. I'm
2: going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winters, winners! 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 Free! 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 Free!
1: All right, let's get some of the news around the uh, world of sports betting and then get you some numbers. Uh, Candy, remind me, who was the, the, the dill hole who was threatening athletes over his bets, and uh, and then he actually – they did round him up. What happened here?
2: Yeah, get this. Uh, this plea agreement was actually just announced today. So this dude who ended up being known as Parlay Pats, his real name is Benjamin Tucker Pats, 24 years old, from California – uh, just received a five-year federal prison sentence. Wow! For back in 2019, he was going on Instagram threatening players involving uh, from teams that, that involved bets he had. In nice. which he said, "I will sever your neck open, you pathetic sea bag. Uh, I will enter your home while you sleep and sever your neck open. I will kill your entire family. Everyone you love will soon cease." I will cut up your family and dismember them alive. Nice. Uh, Yeah. And so this guy actually came to fame for hitting a number of long shot parlays and making some money uh, because one Darren Rovell was continuing to give him lots of play on social media and over at the Action Network talking up his story of these great parlay bets that the guy was making. Uh, Yeah, it turns out he's a degenerate and a loser who's about to spend five years in the federal clink for being a jerk.
1: Oh, Ravel's not going to jail. Uh,
2: listen, I didn't say that it was Christmas.
1: I heard jerk and degenerate. You're talking about Parley Pats, not Ravel. I, I, I really, I need
2: to be clear when we're doing a Rovel story. Uh, yes, this is Parley Pats going to federal prison.
1: So do you think there's any lesson learned here or what the, What did that little dork say about this whole, you know, this whole thing with this dude threatening people? Do you take any responsibility for it, for blowing him up and doing features on him? Yeah.
2: Well, here's the ridiculous part. Um, He ultimately, this is a plea deal. Like it could have been worse. So essentially he's admitting some level of guilt here uh, because the charge that he pleaded to was transmitting threats in interstate or foreign commerce, which is another way of saying wrote some nasty stuff on Instagram. Yeah. look, the lesson here ultimately is just that the feds came down hard on this guy as legal sports betting is spreading across the country and people are becoming more exposed to this. The thing that people really worry about is how are college athletes in particular going to deal with getting these types of threats, right? Younger unpaid athletes who are going to hear from people. Now, mind you, Not like it's brand new. It's happened already in the world, but the legal sports betting world makes it more possible, more prevalent, and it's good to see the feds come down hard on this dude.
1: Mountain West Conference Tournament numbers tomorrow, and they've got a day session and a night session. The evening session will include UNLV and Utah State. Uh, Earlier in the day, you'll have Wyoming catching 15 against the top seed, San Diego State. Uh, Boise is minus four. Against Reno, then six o'clock tip right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You uh you're starting to see what Utah State, uh eight, nine, ten. What's the number against you and Uh,
2: we saw an opener, Steve, sitting there somewhere at six and a half, but I'm seeing a ten on the board at Westgate, and that's a number that moved fairly recently. So I'm guessing we probably had an eight uh that was up that was bet into pretty quickly on Utah State. So I don't know. Tell tell me what you think, Steve. If this number getting into double digits, with the fact that UNLV has shown it can defend Kata is interesting to
1: me. Right now, I think I'd side with the Rebels. I also want some more information on the Utah State roster and who's available and who's not because I think that's key. But, uh, yeah, you know, even in the when, when the game got kind of blown open in the, the second meeting between Utah State and UNLV, I didn't – UNLV got a little too one-on-one. I wasn't blown away by what Utah State was doing offensively. They have to hit threes if they're yep. going to blow anybody out, right? And it it's really got to be
2: Worcester leading the charge for them because you've seen, even in games when they've been successful, it's been rando things like Bean actually stepping out and hitting threes when he's a 15% three-point shooter. Yep. So, yep. Yep. yeah, they're a talented yep. team, sure. And and Keita is the kind of player that the Mountain West should dream of getting in any given season, but they haven't played to that, and that's why they're on the bubble right now.
1: Big five's on the way. I want to react more to uh, Dak Prescott's contract and this uh, growing sentiment out there that somehow Dak and his situation should be compared to one Tom Brady.
0: Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.